Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to all of our episodes, old and new, on the Broadway Podcast Network, iTunes, and Spotify. For many of us, our first introduction to a musical is through its cast recording. And if the show has closed after you discovered it, then the only way we know the show is through its album. The need to capture the show's energy and impact is a major responsibility for the person that's tasked with preserving that show on record. It becomes definitive. And as the founder of Ghostlight Records, today's guest has done just that for the past 20 years. His legacy of albums includes The Last Five Years, In the Heights, Be More Chill, Things to Ruin, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Beautiful, Beetlejuice Next to Normal, Natasha Pierre, Newsies, Spelling Bee, The Drowsy Chaperone, and most recently, Broadway Bounty Hunter, Prince of Egypt, and Soft Power. Janine Sassori, hello. So if you got like a BFA in the past 20 years, like you, yeah. you, know, you owe your career to this man. Uh, to tell us what it was like to work with such folks as Sherry Renee Scott, Joe Iconis, Bill Finn, and so many more, here is Grammy Award winner, Kurt Deutsch. So, okay. So, Kurt, first question for you, which is, when you were growing up and you were enamored with the arts, did you ever think in a million years that you were going to end up being one of the most successful producers in the music industry? Uh, of, of recordings? No. I, it was the farthest thing from my mind. It was, uh, I grew up in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And, um, and my mom would take me to the Muni every Tuesday oh, and, um, cool. and wow. uh, she had season tickets. And so that's kind of when I felt, when I fell in love with musical theater. Um, and I really wanted to be an actor first and a performer. So I would literally sit in my um, bedroom uh, with my record player and, um, and just, you know, my best friend was my mirror and I would like act you know all the cast albums oh, out. Which of, which you know. cast album got worn out the most in this private performance? Well, I mean, it it was like you know, it, it was stages, right? So mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. very very early on, it was my parents, you know, what they listened to. So it was things like West Side Story and Fiddler on the Roof and and um, you know My Fair Lady and 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 those kinds of things. And then a little bit later, it turned into Chorus Line and. And, um, but then I I think that probably Pippin was the one that was my, like, was my, um, uh, probably biggest, um, influence, you know, because it was also one of the ones that had a a video. So I put it on VHS and of course, the video (laughs) of Ben Green and, and that, so, and, you know, so that like for my, um, I think for my Sunday school confirmation, I actually, um, uh, s- quoted in my speech the lyrics to "Corner of the Sky." <laughs> like you know, it's like you know, because that's what musical theater nerds do. Yes, yes. And, you know, but 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 <laughs> the then, but then the thing that's amazing about it all is that you know now I get to work with Stephen Schwartz, and you know we just put out the Prince of Egypt album yeah. and the revival of Pippin and Godspell and about to be Rag. So it's like you know, you get to work with your heroes, which is kind of amazing. Do you still have hero worship when these people walk into the room and go, Kurt, help me? 
Um, well, they don't usually say help me. <laughs> they usually say collaborate. I, 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 I collaborate with them, but like yeah, of course I do. I mean, because they were hugely, I mean, when I was in college, I remember, you know, a big show for me was falsetto, you know, March of the Falsettos and Falsetto Land and, and, um, and getting to work with Bill Finn a number of times. Cause he really, I mean, as far as modern musical, you know, and, and huge, huge. And then to be able to do spelling bee and, mm-hmm. and then the revival of falsettos and one of his, and he, he was a huge influence and, and such a character. Um, and Alan Menken, one of the first shows I saw in New York was the original cast of little shop of horrors. Oh and, my God. And, a ticket. And, and, uh, yeah, I was in eighth grade. I was, I was in 10th grade. I was in 10th grade. And so I wow. saw, I saw the original cast there and, and that was, you know, life changing that show for me. Um, you know, and, and getting to work with Alan Menken and on a number of projects has been incredible. Where was college for you, Kurt? Um, uh, my, I went to Syracuse university for, um, two and a half years. And then I went to the O'Neill theater center. They have this mm. thing called the national theater Institute. Um, and that was like a semester. Um, and, and, uh, and so that was my junior year instead of like going to London, I, I, yeah. I, I went to the O'Neill and, um, and, uh, and then I got an agent from the O'Neill and I convinced my dad to let me, um, to let me move to um, New York after that first, after that semester. Yes. And he basically said, okay, if you don't make it in six months, you have to go back to school. So I didn't make it. Um, but the last day that I, um, that I was to go back to college, I auditioned for a, a play called Broadway Bound, which is a Neil Simon play. And, um, and then I went to college and then eight weeks into the semester, I got a call back for it um, because um, you know, the actor, Evan Handler. Yes. Yeah. Great. Evan, actor. Evan um, at the time, and this was in 1987, maybe 87. I think he had, he had come down with leukemia and, um, and it was horrible and they needed somebody to replace very fast. And so I was able to come down. I auditioned on the, um, the Broadhurst stage. And then, um, and then they basically said, how fast can you move down to New York? And so I dropped out of college. I moved in with my girlfriend at the time's parents at 96 McDougal street in the village. And, um, and then I started out understudying because they, and then I ultimately took over um, the role and did it for about a year and a half. So that was kind of my college story you know was that yeah. your first for i mean did you have your union card already i mean did you join the union with this audition as well i um, mean had you worked professionally before i i i basically spent i did summer stock so so i my my summers would be um in ohio like in kenyan and Ken, kenyan festival theater in ohio and i did something in Keene, new hampshire and i did something in maine um and then I went to the Edinburgh Festival. So oh. I, I don't remember. I think that I had. I think I had my equity card mm-hmm. it, it, from the summer from Summerstock. Um, but it was definitely my first. You know, my first the Broadway yeah. thing. Yeah, that's that. a big. Yeah. Th- and you got it in college. I- <laughs> it, was, it was. I was very very fortunate. I was very lucky. You know, it was, it was, it was incredibly lucky. Yeah. And then after Broadway Bound, a few good men. Is that correct? Um, after Broadway Bound, I did a couple of off-Broadway shows. Um, 
And then in one of them was an Aaron Sorkin play called Making Movies that was like, you know, ran 32 performances at the Promenade Theater. Yeah. And really, and, and that's when I met Aaron. Um, and Aaron also went to Syracuse. So we have that in common. Um, but because of that, I ended up, um, I ended up in, in A Few Good Men. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then that, and I did that for about, nine nine or ten months i think mm. and then i moved out to la and why the move to los angeles um uh because my agent said that i should do television and so and so uh and so i was like you know I, they basically right. said that and so i i got a tv series um pretty fast um with john mahoney um called the human factor which mm. was it's always like the year before, like I was always on these TV shows the year before something happened. So this was like the year before ER, you know, I was on this medical show yes. the year before ER and, and our show was like, you know, and I, and so, and I played like the Noah Wiley character, the, mm-hmm. you know, the young, you know, doctor and, you know, so, totally. I, so I, I call myself the year before act. I would do a pilot every year <laughs> and then, and you know, and then the next year, that same kind of series would end up being like the great series that I didn't do. You of know course, I mean? of course, of course. What was yeah. it like working with John Mahoney? John Mahoney. Um, he's just, he, he was just so easy and um, natural mm. and um, professional and just, and gracious and generous. Um, amazing amazing actor you know and he was he had that kind of career where you know he he had a life prior to um acting you know he yep. didn't really you know he, he was a member of steppenwolf and and um and and he he he, he was an amazing actor really amazing actor. so you're out of you're out in los angeles and when when does this idea start to come to you of hey maybe moving into a different career field might be either an interesting thing or a necessary thing um it, it it wasn't necessary at all. It was just, it was actually when I was in LA, I did, um, I, I would still, I, I did a lot of bad television and, um, but I had a great theater company that was kind of my lifeblood. I was in a theater company called the Matrix Theater Company and, um, and it was on Melrose. And so the interesting kind of thing about this particular theater company was that every show was double cast. Mm-hmm. So there would be two casts of people and we would never, you never knew who you were going to be playing. It wasn't like an A cast and a B cast. It was like we, we would mix it up so that the casts were different. And so um, I did like, I did the seagull with Jeffrey Tambor and Sharon Lawrence and Penny Fuller and Richard. That's how I met Richard kind. He's one of my best friends. And, oh my gosh. Um, and Anna Gunn was my Nina. And um, you know, so it was like, it was crazy, a crazy talented group of people because everybody were theater actors. We were all living in LA. We were making decent money doing television, but we all wanted to just cut our teeth doing what we love to do. Yeah. So that's the acting part. But then I did um, a play, a musical at the La Jolla Playhouse called Randy Newman's Musical Faust. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and so I played Faust in that. And um, that's where I met. Um, my former wife, Sherry Renee Scott. Um, and, uh, and so we got together in 1995, August of 1995, and we're married in 1998. 
Um, and during that time, um, living in LA, still doing theater, but she got cast in um, Rent. So we were back and forth. And she also got cast in um, the Elton John's musical, the Aida. And, um, and so we moved back to New York for Aida and I did my sex in the city and I did my law and order and, you know, like circuit things, (laughs) did a couple of independent films, but, um, but it, and it was at that time that I was kind of feeling like, um, she was interested in making an album and, um, and I didn't really know anything about that part of the industry, but somebody gave her a contract that was, you know, wanted her to sing show tunes. And, and I looked at the contract and I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. The, 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 the financials don't make a lot of sense. And so, um, I said, you know, you're playing to 15,000 people a week on Broadway. Why don't we make the album that you want to make? We'll invest, you know, we'll, we'll put the money up. And then maybe if we're lucky, we'll put your, buy it. We'll put your website in your bio and then maybe Disney will sell them in the lobby or you know, it just kind of started like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and she was very, very connected to a lot of, um, from doing Tommy, um, and, uh, and Greece and other shows, she was very connected to the, to the musical theater community in ways that I was not connected, um, to the musical theater community. Um, and so, because of that, we, I, I got friendly with Adam Pascal and, and so we started thinking about this idea of creating a record label that was more of like a United Artists for the Broadway community. And it wasn't necessarily about cast albums. It was more about, um, Sherry doing her own project, Adam Pascal doing his original music, Alice Ripley doing her songs, um, and, it, and it kind of, and the Broadway Inspirational Voices, which was then called the Broadway Gospel Choir, um, wanting to work with them. And so it started that way. And, um, and then eventually we got into cast albums. How did you know what to do? You, you know, you, you said, how do you I begin read a book. I read a book. Um, <laughs> called Everything You Want to Know About the Music Business, a guy named Don Passman. Awesome. Um, and, it, and it was like, it was kind of like, you know, I read every book that I could possibly read. I worked, you know, I was, I'm, when the idea of a record producer, you know, is, you know, there's different, I was a directing major at college as well. So, um, so I have an acting and directing background. So I, I was able to communicate my expertise is not in, I'm not an engineer. I'm not, um, you know, technically proficient in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, you know, mixing those kinds of things. But what I bring to the table, I think is, um, um, the ability to speak to an actor, the ability to hear things, the, the ability to kind of feel, um, you know, to, to, how do you get a song across from a mm-hmm. from an oral, oral perspective, a listening perspective, as opposed to um, as opposed to when you're seeing it on stage? And how do you do that? What what do you look for? Or what note do you find yourself giving the most in the recording session? Um, I I think that 
the biggest note, you know, because the, the thing that's great about cast albums is that um, you're, you try to capture the energy of a live performance, but you need to encapsulate it. Your audience is your, is your microphone to, to, a certain, to a certain degree. And, and so you want to be able to kind of get to the truth through, through, um, through the, through, cause you don't have anything else hiding you. So, so, so it's not like you can rely on that comic bit that is a physical bit. It's all about how do you encapsulate your performance for a listener as opposed to, um, as opposed to, you know, what they're seeing. And so a lot of the times it's, it's about what are you, how are you communicating? Are you projecting too much? You don't need to project that much. Can you get the same intensity across in a, in a different way yet still get the same um, emotional resonance? Which show have you worked on that has been the most challenging in terms of taking the brilliance that are on stage and then, you know, putting it out into a recording? Still I'm, I'm sure they're all challenging, but which one have you, did you find? Oh my gosh, this is a, this is a tough one. Well, it, it's it's more about it was more I guess um, you think about it a lot of different ways. I think of how do you do certain things to be able to capture um, what the energy is on stage. So I think of a show like Passing Strange, where you know that show you know going in and recording it in a studio would be would have been the wrong way to yes. do it, and so we did it live in front of an audience, but we wanted to recreate. It wasn't like a live capture. We actually made a recording studio and invited people into mm. the, in, into the process. Oh, and yeah. that was, that presented its own challenges. Um, in, in general, a show like another challenging one was, um, hair, mm. um, the revival of hair, because, it is so communal and it, everybody sings on almost every song. And, um, and so it was a, that was a challenge recording it because you have to give your all in that you, I mean, those actors were performing at such a peak level, um, that during the, and, and it was the only time that I think that we've done it where we actually started at the beginning of the show and, and then, and, oh. and went through it. Um, you know, and we would, we would be, and, and also because of the size of the cast, um, recording studios have been a challenge because all the recording studios have been closing. And so we actually had people in three or four or five different rooms and we did it live, but we had everybody all over the place and we would start losing like Will Swenson, um, lost his voice in the middle of the recording. And, you know, so there's certain, you know, certain things that ended up happening where, where it presents, it presents challenges, but it ultimately, I mean, worked out. We, we, you know, great album. Back when, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. The, ener the energy is, is, is exciting. Yeah. So you had originally um, had started out just for the, your label, if I'm understanding this correctly, it's mostly, it was mostly intended for solo artists that were working so on Broadway. Boom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, to have yeah, so, Shigaboom, so Shigaboom was like the idea. It was like Sherry was the S H and K was <laughs> me, and that Kurt, and then Boom ended up. I don't know. <laughs> um, so it's a that, great name. That's it's how great... the, that's kind of how that started, and now and then and then um, and then when we started getting more, and that was about um, 
artists who wanted to bridge the gap between rock and roll and theater. That was kind of the idea. And we would do these midnight concerts on Thursdays um, at the, a place called the cutting room. And, oh, yeah. um, and, and, uh, and then we started doing bigger concerts at the village theater, which, which it doesn't, which is now Le Poisson Rouge in New York. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so we did these bigger concerts and, and like we did the first reading of what, what is now next to normal. Awesome. We had people like Adina Menzel and Gavin DeGraw on a double bill. We did, it was like, it was a way for the Broadway community late night on Thursday nights and the theater community to come together. This was all like, this is our 20 year anniversary. So this is all like yes. 2000, 2001, 2000, you know, so that it was kind of those two years, pre nine 11. Happy anniversary, yeah. by the and way. It really, 20 years. Congratulations. And it really, you were uh, very, very much ahead of the, you know, brought, now we have pop rock all the time on Broadway. But that's when I was in college. And I, right. I that was, we didn't have pop rock like the way we do now. I mean, now it, it's really kind of interesting that you caught that wave. Right yeah. Well, I think that Rent, I think Rent and yeah. Tommy were the shows that, you know, Rent was kind of one of those defining moments in everybody where it was about, you know, and we just did the Jonathan Larson project, but that was ahead of its time. It was also kind of the first show, I think, that um, defined the internet movement where where you were able to reach beyond the typical broad, you know, Broadway community. And now, um, you know, 20 years later, you see that fan engagement globally for musicals in a much yeah. different way. Um, yeah. So, but, but yeah, we were building it, building it back then, trying to build a community of this art, these group of artists and, and, um, and then, and then we started getting into cast albums. With Ghost Light. Yeah, Ghost Light started a few years later and, and, but, and, and that really was because Shikaboom is kind of a stupid name, but also, um, but also, uh, it was limiting because I would say, you know, somebody would say to me, I have this really great, beautiful album, but it doesn't necessarily fit within our model of bridging the gap between rock and roll and theater. So to do an album with Patti Lapone right. is not really, you know, I mean, is not, is not really part of that unless, unless it was like, you know, Patti does Nirvana or something like that. But, <laughs> I'd, um, I'd buy that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, I hear but, that. Yeah. But um, I think one of our first albums was um, the Michelle Legrand Amour. Amour, and, yes. Um, and so Amour didn't really fit into that world. So, and there was the idea of creating a new imprint, um, which is Ghostlight, was um, important to to be able to kind of broaden the audience and to be more inclusive. It, even at the time, I remember I was I, I I would buy every single Ghostlight record possible. But I remember thinking, this is amazing that this that the, yeah. you were able to do that when the record labels were doing the opposite, right? They, at this time period, they were it was not a hot thing to have a cast album and to be making it like it is now. I'm I, I think, and so yeah. I, I mean a little more so now. I, I'm curious how you and we don't have to know financials, but I'm curious how you made it work. I mean, how did you did you create a new way of of, of financial or you know, trying to make money on this. Can you speak a little bit about yeah, that? I mean, uh, I, I'm not a not-for-profit, um, but the idea was, um, I mean, it was pretty simple in that, in that I, I thought I was thinking like, you know, it, at the time record label, you know, Broadway producers would be raising 
10 to $12 million, however much it costs to make a musical. Right. And they would typically give away um, the cast album rights to a record label f- to pay for the entire thing. So, so I didn't, and, and that contract that they gave Sherry was the same contract that they were giving to a Broadway show. Um, and I couldn't believe that after reading my Don Passman book, the, the, everything you want to know about the music, you know, music, the music business. Um, I couldn't believe that shows would, um, give away one of their biggest assets, not only for marketing, but also financial. Um, and so the last five years was, I think probably the first cast album that we did. And it was a small show. Sherry was starring in it with Norbert and um, Marty Bell and Ariel Tepper were the producers. And um, it was after 9-11, show got kind of lukewarm reviews. It was a ghost town down in the village. But I said, I, I knew that this show, to me, was kind of like a, a, a mini masterpiece. And I said to the producer, I said, why don't we just finance this together? We'll own it together. And... Um, and um, and we'll do a joint venture, and so I put half the money in, they put half the money in, and you know, in the last five years is you know lived on. I think not a lot of people got to see the show live with Norbert and Sherry, but right. the cast album, you know, exists oh, in a way. Definitely. And you know, I mean, I don't know if you saw the Ariana Grande did a cover last yeah, night. It was incredible. So um, so and then from that, I ended up producing the movie with Anna Kendrick and blah, 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 blah. But, but, um, but that's kind of the genesis of the business model is essentially joint ventures with the Broadway producers. Sure. If you, if you didn't step forward for that, do you think anyone would have recorded this? Do you think anyone would have come forward and been like, Oh, let's record this show. I I would hope, I would hope that, that somebody would have, but nobody had at the time. And if you, if you don't mind my asking, because we're, we're interested in, you know, the, the history of things, which is, if you don't mind sharing, how much did it cost to produce that album versus how much would it have cost today if you were if you were doing the same thing? Um, well, I'll give you a range. So, yeah, that's, so yeah. typically a typically a, um, a, a a small show like that will go somewhere between seventy five thousand dollars or or higher. Um, you know, to to a larger Broadway show can be much more expensive in the 300 to 400 to $500,000 range. Um, but you know, in the last five years on the smaller side, I think it was probably, I want to say it was maybe $90,000 to make that album, something like that. How much do you have to sell in order or down or people download to, in order to break even? Well thing, I mean, back then, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about a much more physical mm-hmm. market. Um, you know, I, iTunes didn't really exist back, back then in 2000. I don't remember how old iTunes is, but, but that was selling, um, m- much more physical, physical product. Um, you know, and now things are very, very different where they where it's, right. you know, pretty much we're selling hardly any physical and it's mostly digital and, and, and pretty much mostly streaming at this point. Mm-hmm. So it, it varies, um, you know, for a 90, you know, at, at that time, you know, you figure, you see roughly, um, 
six dollars or five or six dollars an album at that time so whatever that i'm not i'm really bad at math no that (laughs) (laughs) we all are it's okay this is lucille do you want to help keep broadway behind the curtain on the air head over to patreon.com that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com and search Behind the Curtain, Broadway's living legends, and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar. Just tell them, here you come, pow, pow. Light the candles. Get the ice out. I'm going to sing until you give. Roll the rug up. Give today at Patreon. Now that you have, you know, you've you've created this great legacy of some of the most iconic, influential musicals for for people over the past twenty years. You've you've been able to preserve that. What do you know now that you wished you had known then when you started producing these things? If you could go back and talk to talk to yourself twenty years ago, you would say, "Hey, don't worry about this," or "Hey, make sure that you pay attention to that." I mean, I think I spent too much money at the, at the beginning, um, just because I didn't know, um, and but also. Because of what's going on right now, and especially in, in self-isolation and, and all those kinds of things, it's like, how, how do you keep up? I have not been one to not um, take, I, I, I tend to take a lot of risks. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, and so I, you know, when streaming started happening, I was the first one to say, okay, this is the future. We have to go to it. This is, you know, and so a lot of people are reticent, are scared of technology and scared of what that does to the business and all that kind of stuff. I've been more of a person who embraces that a little bit more and, Mm -hmm. um, and feel like it's only going to make the audience wider and them wanting to see the show. Um, but so I think that if anything, it's, um, trying to be as open as I can and not as closed minded um, at the time and not being as stubborn, you know? Yeah. And I, I, what I find so interesting is, is, you know, like you were saying earlier on, you know, you had asked Sherry's, you know, website to be in the liner notes. That was really ahead. Cause nobody, I think was really doing that at the time. Yeah. No. And I mean the, the, the types of, you know, shows that we were looking to record, what do you think um, the next 10 years or so might be holding for the original cast recording industry? Is there a thing that you think, oh, this is this might turn out to be a trend or or this might be some way that the the, the field I'm is moving? I'm trying to think about the next year, you know what I mean? <laughs> what is, what's gonna happen in the next year as opposed to 10, ten years? But it's like, what is going to be the, the disruptor, um, you know, which, which you think about, you know, in 10 years, we're probably not gonna be driving cars, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, it's that kind of but, um, you know, it's like everybody's going to be, you know, we're, we're not going to have automobiles. I mean, if you would have told me that 10 years ago, <clears throat> you know, I, you know, there would be no CDs, there would be no, you know, it's all digital. It's all subscription based. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's why these records are, are, are doing so well, or a lot of them are doing so well is because the audience is now, um, you know, in, it's instantaneous and it's global and everybody can, can connect. I think that's going to keep happening, but I think how we consume music, I don't know what, what's going to happen beyond streaming. 
Um, I think gaming is a huge is a huge part of it. I think that you're seeing um, now you're seeing TikTok and YouTube and um, you know Voise, all these different apps that people yeah. are using to create music. Um, I think that's going to keep expanding, and it's all about subscription base and subscriber base now because you are seeing real money from those subscribers. Like at the beginning with Spotify, they would say, "Oh, you're only seeing this little amount, you know, per." stream or whatever but it really does add up because everybody's subscribing to they're now subscribing to youtube they're now subscribing to spotify they're subscribing to apple music they're subscribing to google play there's so many different places in which people are subscribing to and the numbers are growing by the millions four years ago there was not very many subscribers now there are Oh yeah! Most everybody is a subscriber to something, and mm-hmm. and that actually um, is a very different kind of commerce than um, than selling one physical CD, and um, and then it, you're done. Every time somebody plays a cast album or a stream or whatever they're doing, you're monetizing that. So it's so it's living in, it's living in a cloud. You're not having to manufacture. You're not having to do those things. You're you're constantly in in catalog. You know these shows, which is great. Is is that there's only going to be one original cast album of the Book of Mormon? You know, there's only going to be one original cast album of the last five years. And so, you know, people still listen to the original cast albums of West Side Story or oh, yeah, or, yeah. or oh, Company yes. or any any of these shows. So so I think that that's that's the beauty of the cast album. People don't necessarily listen to just one song. They listen to whole records, um, which is is kind of a a difference. But I do think that things need to change in terms of the economics. They shouldn't, it shouldn't cost as much as it does cost because we're not in the days where albums are selling millions and millions of copies, you know, like, like when the contracts were negotiated and, and the producers are having to bear um, a lot of the um, brunt. And uh, most cast albums, I would say, don't necessarily are not necessarily profitable. I look at, you know, I look at things as preservation projects, mm. and and I look at things as financial and commercial projects. And so, you know, I, I want to, and I take a deep responsibility in the preservation part of it. Yes. Um, but. I, again, I'm not, I'm not a not-for-profit. So, um, so a lot of it has to be, you know, angel investors and those kinds of things. How do you pick, uh, you know, because that's an artistic sort of opinion that you have to have. And, and how, what is your sort of limits test? How do you decide? Because I imagine you get a lot of people saying, hey, will you record me, my show? It's really good. And how do you, other than good old-fashioned, like, I like that art, I don't like that art. Is there some sort of other um, test? You know, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I like your aesthetic, I like, so I, like I always that. have and I always will. But I, <laughs> but I mean, you know, certain things that I, you know, certain things that I feel will be profitable, and certain things that I feel will not be profitable. And you know, and I've been right and I've been wrong a lot of times. So, um, so you know, but um, but at the end of the day, my goal is if you want to make an album, I'll help you make the album. It's just I'm not necessarily going to pay for your album. Mm, yeah. So, so you you will you have you have some albums that because uh, I'm just I'm a layman here. Mm-hmm. There are some albums that you put up the money. Then you have some albums that if someone says, "Hey, I want I really like Ghostlight. I want that label, but I've got I'm I'm self I'm a millionaire. I'm gonna we're gonna and you will you will 
do that then as well? Or will you still say, well, I need, still need to make sure that we want our name on this? Yeah, I think that there's there's a few different ways that I that I work. It's more about it's it's relationships. It's um, it's uh, it's um, you know financial you know joint ventures. It's also like preservation. I want to make sure that these albums get preserved, and let's figure out a way in which you can get the money, even though it's not necessarily about making money. Mm-hmm. You know, and because a lot of right. people benefit from it, not just not just um, me, it's more about the future student. It's about, okay, the licensing company, MTI, or, or you know, one of these licensing yeah. companies, um, you know, need a cast album in order to license their show because without a cast album, most shows will not be licensed. Right. So it's working with the licensing companies, working with the producers of the show. If it's a not-for-profit, working very closely with the not-for-profit who have a lot of times have, um, you know, recording grants or things like yeah. that, that they'll, that they'll use. Um, so, so yeah, so I work, but if it's a commercial, sh- if it's a, a big Broadway show that I feel is commercially viable, like Beetlejuice or something like that, yeah. um, then yeah, I'll put, I'll, I'll put money into it. How early on in the process do you get involved? Like for something like soft power, for example, do you, do you see it and go, Oh, this is fantastic. Let me, let me see if I can record this or do they approach you? Let's take soft power as an example, please, which is fantastic by the way. Thank you so much for making that happen. Soft power was actually very, very late. Actually. Um, uh, I kind of came in at the last minute. Um, and, um, and, and they called me and they said, cause they did, they weren't sure if they were going to make, make the album. And so they called me at the last minute and said, Hey, could you, could you, could you do this for us? And so we did. So that, that's a them approaching you type thing. How does this process uh, normally work? Do you, do they pitch the shows to you even before they get into rehearsals? Do you, do they invite you? Do you, how, how does the mating? I a lot of re- well, I mean, I, so I work, Meetings. so I, I have, I, I have, um, I have my record label, but I also work at Warner Chapel Music Publishing. Yes. Where I, where right. I, Congratulations I, on that. On the theater, kind of the theater division there, and so and so, I go to a lot of readings. Um, I go to a lot of shows, and um, and then I, I have relationships with a lot of the producers and and um, and and not for profits. But it's not like one of those things where uh, other other people are trying to outbid one another, or is it? It is with, okay. I can offer you this, I can offer you that, okay. Oh, yeah. um, you know, you have such a great relationship with Joe Iconis, because, um, mm. I mean, who is transforming the way people are finding musical theater, which is so cool, but also such a responsibility, I'm assuming, for you, because this is the conduit for so many, so many listeners, how did your relationship with Joe develop? And talk a little bit, please, about Broadway Bounty Hunter with the incredible Annie Golden. Who? Um, well, Joe. I guess I met um, pretty much right after he graduated from NYU, and uh, and somebody had sent me um, said you should really meet this guy. He's kind of got an original voice, and I and so I met him, and um, and he was just a very you know, quiet, yeah. um, introverted kind of guy. And we talked and I, I told him the kinds of things that I was interested in doing. Um, he didn't really have 
a lot of musicals at the time, but I just found his voice to be very, very original. Um, and I loved, um, I loved a lot of his songs. And so we talked about creating, um, a kind of a, I love the idea of concept albums. I love the idea of song cycles. Um, and so, um, and so we talked about that, I think. And then that's kind of how things to ruin spawned, um, where he, he created things to ruin as kind of a song cycle. And, and that, that's when the relationship really started. Um, with things with when we put out things to ruin. And then he just has been building his kind of family of musicians and artists um, together over the years. And then, um, and then I just, you know, have been supporting him ever since be more chill was another example of, of, you know, when I went and saw it at, um, when I went and saw it at uh, two river theater, I said, we've got to record this thing. And, um, you know, and so I was fortunate enough that two rivers supported it and we paid, you know, and so it was like, so we recorded. It doesn't happen a lot. A regional yeah. theater pre-Broadway, you know, usually, well, I mean, they review in the New York times. So if, <laughs> and I knew that that show, I mean, I, I, you know, when you talk about instinct, I just knew some of those songs would speak to that 12 year old in me when I was a kid in St. Yeah. Louis that I would yeah. want to sing it. I'd want to sing along to this thing. And Michael in the bathroom ended up having, I mean, that's kind of like Beetlejuice is another example of, you know, you, you, you hear the first time I heard um, Sophia sing dead mom, I was like, okay, yep. That 16 year old girl is going to want to sing that song over and over. Yes. And, over again. and they do. Yeah. It's, those are the kinds of things that I look for when I, when I hear, yeah. um, especially, especially from a commercial place um who are the who is the audience you know who are buying who are listening if you think of wicked if you think of spring awakening you think of those kind legally blonde those yeah. kinds of shows it's these it's the musical theater person or people sometimes who don't feel like they fit in or underdogs who who um who are trying to find their place in the world and I think that songs that resonate like that in a lot of ways are what, are what people want to sing over and over and over and over again. So yeah. anyway, so Joe, but Joe, so we did things to ruin. We did be more chill, but I'll both be more chill albums. And then, and then Broadway bounty hunter, which was Joe's um, love letter to Annie golden, you know? Yeah. And now I want to go back for a second. You said two albums for Be More Chill. What, what were the differences between well, the album one and album two? The off-Broadway and the Broadway. So you've got the off-Broadway one. It's really an, is, is the, not the off-Broadway, the, two, the two River, yeah. the two River one, which was done then at Two River. And then yeah. the Broadway one, which was a souped-up orchestration, different cast, a few different songs. Um, they're just two different, two different records. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then Broadway Bounty Hunter is, um, is the, it's, he, you know, it's for Annie. And I think that it's, it's awesome. It's a, it's a, and Brad Oscar, who I love Brad Oscar, with I... Hampshire in 19, oh uh, 80, 1985. Yeah. What wow. shows? <laughs> we did, um, Candide and, um, Merrily We Roll Along. Oh, nice. The Robber Bridegroom and Baby. <laughs> oh my God. 
That's a good season. <laughs> I'd like to get a time machine. I want to go back. Jeez. I want to. I want to yeah. see those. And then tell tell us a little bit about Prince of Egypt. Hmm. Prince of Egypt was um, well. They did it. In, it. It's the London production of Prince of Egypt um, that is well was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, it'll open up again when people can. Yeah. The theater, but um, again, it's a, another Stephen Schwartz album that 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 um, I've been fortunate enough to work with him on a number of projects. Um, and it's, you know, a cast of, I don't know, a cast of 35 and a huge orchestra. It's a big, big show. It's like, it's similar in, in a lot of ways to Hunchback, the Hunchback of Notre Dame mm-hmm. album that, that, that we did. But, you know, it's one of those shows that, um, you know, I think he wrote five songs for the film and mm-hmm. now it has 23. Yeah, fleshed it out. Oh, that's exciting. A lot more. Um, and it's very, very lush. Um, I don't think many people write melodies the way that Stephen does. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and it's, it's that kind of story, which will be, you know, I'm Jewish and it's the story of Moses, a story of Passover. And, and, um, and, uh, and I think people will look back on it in a way where, where it'll be done. And it'll be done a lot. What's on your bucket list of, you know, concept albums or ideas that you'd still like to have come to fruition? We're getting ready to, I mean, I have a bunch, the things that I've been kind of most proud of lately are, are, um, you know, these projects, like I've been recording all of Michael Friedman's um, Mm. work that, uh, you know, we've, I think we have like nine albums that were his musicals and I recorded you know, bloody, bloody and fortress of solitude and, mm-hmm. um, and love's labor's lost. And so I, I, I love Michael. Um, and, um, and I feel like his work is, he's just so singular. And then we've basically, we've also been one of Michael's or Michael's mentor was uh, Elizabeth Suedos. And, um, and so we've just finished, um, recording, a Liz Suedos project. Um, oh, that, wow. That, um, is is a remarkable album. That's oh, fun! Coming out in, in May, people actually we haven't really announced it yet, but anyway, it'll be coming out in in May. Thank you. That's exciting. Um, yeah, and um, and then I've just been developing shows, a lot of shows lately. I I did um, I've been I produced the Wrong Man, um, which mm-hmm. was the Ross yeah. show, um, and that got nominated for a bunch of Drama Desk awards. Yes, and, congratulations. Um, with Kevin McCollum on oh. uh, a version of the Notebook. Um, oh yeah, Ingrid Michaelson. Yeah. Um, so so I'm doing that, um, and and then developing a lot of things with Warner Warner Chapel. Um, but as far as you know, so I'm kind of transitioning. Kind of next phase is probably um, more producing, more, more more producing, and you know, cast albums. Um, and and also in this time, you know, really thinking about what what is if we can't get back into the theater for a number of more months, which it doesn't look like we're going to, how do you pivot? You know, a lot of people are doing virtual play readings on Zoom or doing a lot of virtual concerts. But I feel like it's an opportunity now to be thinking about concept albums. Yeah. To be thinking about, you know, okay. What's the next Jesus Christ superstar? What's the next Evita? What's the next yeah. The Wall? What's the next Tommy? What's you know what are what are the what are the next concept albums that you can kind of create and um, and put out into the world that could then generate 
I'll see it in the theater one day or I'll make yeah. it. Yeah. 80s town did that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah. Well, those that's, are the kind of things that I'm thinking about. I think that's, I think that's so, so wonderful that, you know, you, you still want to bring these stories uh, and finding a different way of adapting them to our yeah. current situation. Mm-hmm. Um, my last, our last question for you is, is, you know, what, what is your, what do you hope that your legacy and Ghostlight Records legacy is going to be, you know, a hundred, 200 years from now? I hope we can still go to the theater. Yes. And I hope that people will, you know, I mean, the idea of Ghostlight to me, you know, I mean, it's actually, especially we've seen a lot of, during the pandemic, people have been talk, talking about the Ghostlight and, and how that is, you know, placed in the theater when theater is dark, but the light always shines on. And the reason that I chose the name of Ghostlight was because um, when the theater is dark or when the show is done, the music will always live on. Mm. And so to me, um, if people, if people, I mean, it's less about me than it is more about a history and a legacy and a preservation of these scores that, you know, hopefully we'll live on forever and we'll oh. keep educating people yeah. and we'll keep inspiring people and people um, can dream about, like I did when I was in St. Louis, dream about, you know, um, being on Broadway or being an actor, being a producer, being a director, you know, whatever, yeah. whatever their dream is to allow them to, you know, have this be a portal into that dream. So... That's great. Kurt, on behalf of Kevin and I, but also on the millions of listeners that you've inspired through your records, uh, we just want to say thank you so much. It, it really means the world to us, one, that you spend time with us today and that you keep creating dreams for people through your, your brilliant company. So thank you for that, Kurt. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. joining us. Yes. Till next time, everybody. Stay safe. Bye, folks. Bye. Today's episode was recorded at Shetler Studios on 244 West 54th Street. Visit Shetler Studios to book your room today, and you could be as cool as us. That's S-H-E-T-L-E-R studios.com. And a big thanks to our sound editor, Daniel Schwartzberg, and social media manager, Bethany Ann Selecki. And friends, don't forget, we want more folks to hear these incredible stories, and that's where you guys can come in and help us out. Yes, in order for people to find out about us, we need lots of ratings on iTunes. The more ratings, the more they'll come up in searches. So head on over to iTunes, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, click on our logo, click on ratings and reviews, then write a review and leave us five stars and make us feel as special as Eliza Doolittle on Eliza Doolittle Day. Or you can leave us one star and make us feel as bad as Annie did in that weird production in Boston where Annie dreamed about being adopted and then ended the show back in the orphanage. True story, Rob was there. (laughs) I saw it. (laughs) So head on over to iTunes and make us feel even more special than we already do. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org, because only together we rise.